Can we all stand, please? We welcome you in the house of the Lord today. So glad that you came back after Easter. A lot of people don't do that, but you did. We're talking today about nobody but Jesus. Nobody to talk to you about that better than me. So glad that you're here. So glad we meet here on these humble premises. Today we're going to talk about also to bring us to this subject full circle Burger King religion Burger King religion you might ask and I would tell you if you ask anybody ask what is Burger King religion I knew somebody would ask today Burger King religion is a religion where you have it your way you have it your way I'm going to be speaking today about Burger King religion. Okay, shake hands with your neighbor and you can be seated. During that time, I need to get into my regular garb. Okay, that's enough. Cut it out. i like for my helper to come out at this time and Would you please kneel and kiss my ring? Okay. It's worth a try, right? I can't wear this today, even though I'd love to, but I have to wear the t-shirt because it's t-shirt day. I almost forgot and left the crown on today, but... <laughs> uh, today, really, seriously, after all that, I want to talk about Burger King religion. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, on the heels of the 60s hippie movement, the me generation, it was all about me and what we wanted. Uh, there was a restaurant that became uh, very successful by reaching out and offering people whatever they wanted. They're, you know, it's called have it your way, special orders don't upset us. Well, that's fine for Burger King. It worked for them. A lot of people like that. They come, they go, I don't want no pickles on mine. No problem. Special orders don't upset us. You know, McDonald's was naming all the ingredients on theirs, and you've got to take it or leave it. But Burger King was, you can ask for anything you want or don't want on our hamburgers, and we will specially order, put it in just like you want, and it won't even upset us, unless you go to the wrong Burger King. But anyway... <laughs> But sadly, is that attitude become prevalent in our society? It started making its way into businesses, and sadly to say, it's made its way into churches. It's made its way into churches. That churches got to the point that, okay, we just want you to have it your way, no matter what. You know, and people today are insisting on having it their way in religion. And so in, in, in the world today, you can find a religion almost any way you want it. You can have it very liturgic, wearing robes, singing songs with organs, and it, it would be beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can go to a church that has stained glass windows. In a lot of them, the old stained glass windows actually meant something because the original reason they put in stained glass windows is for a society that couldn't read. And they told the story of Jesus. If you, if you go see 
Like over in Europe, you go and you'll see the stained glass window. It talks about his birth, about his childhood, and it goes right around in the whole building. You could take someone that did not even read, and you could tell them the story of Jesus in living color. So there was a purpose, and that purpose was to tell you about Jesus. Well, then there's people just made stained glass windows that don't tell you nothing. Don't tell you nothing. And there's sometimes that uh, we become traditional just after being traditional. If you want to find a church that's contemporary, you can find a church that's contemporary. If you want to find a church where people dress in robes, if you want to find a church where it's jeans, you can do that. Really nothing wrong with that. Really, there isn't. Uh, Paul talks about it's not really the day of the week or the... Uh, you know, special ceremonies. The gospel is about Jesus. That's the real issue. That's the real issue. If you're looking for a church that has no emission, in other words, you don't have to do anything to join. You just come and you can join. You can find a church like that. If you want a church that you have to jump a bunch of hurdles before you're good enough to be a part of them, you can find churches like that. If you, if you want to find a church that only does organ music, you can find that. If you want to find a church that just does piano music, you can find that. If you want to find a church that has no music whatsoever, they sing a cappella, you can find that. If you want to find a church that's got full-size bands and they sing loud with drums, you can find that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those. But that... In the beginning that started off, and we were one of those churches, I think we were one of the first churches that started changing our way. We had people even knock us like, you don't have a bunch of Christian symbols in here, and you don't even take an offering, and you don't do this. And then we go, well, see, we're trying to reach unchurched people. And they have this certain feeling about churches that all churches are about is money. Or I found out some guy, I'd always struggled to have a nice suit, and I was out traveling, and this guy died. You know, and this, this widow said, you're about the size of my husband. And a very rich man, too. And he said, he's got a bunch of suits. Would you like to have them? I said, I'd love them. They gave me 53 suits. I mean, nice suits. I look good, man. I'm telling you, I look really, really good. Starts white shirt with a beautiful suit on. And then right after that, I was reading an article that said, most people don't come to church because they don't have anything to wear. And I say, what kind of trick is this? I finally get a suit to wear and look good. And then I find out that people don't go to church because they don't have anything to wear. So I said, well, my suits and my pride of the way I look is not more important than lost people. So I started dressing down. And the reason I dress down, not that I don't still to this day love to wear a suit. It's just the fact that if it's going to make anybody feel like you ask them to come to church, they go, well, I don't have anything to wear. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to be a dress code to keep anybody out of heaven. And if they don't have it, they don't have it. And so we become a church at Grace Community Church that believed in the grace of God. We become very accommodating to people, very loving. And and that's what we want to be. We want to be able to offer the gospel on the most simple. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may be able to reach some for Christ. But here's the problem. We're going into a period of time in history, which is very much like we're going to be talking about the book of Galatia. And we're about that same time that now we're so willing to just change the Bible and what it says to accommodate people. And that's where we have to draw the line. I want to read to you Galatians writing and the breakdown of Galatians. 
Paul's letter to the church at Galatia is a short version of the book of Romans we, we just went through. Paul is addressing in this short book of Galatians legalism, showing how Christ brought freedom. He brought us freedom from not from not the bondage of the Jewish laws. He, he, he brought us freedom. We don't have to go through the bondage of the Jewish laws. Christians are saved from their sins only by faith in Christ. They are free to live by the law of love and not the law of Moses. So that's what the book of Galatians we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to be talking about it. And there's kind of two ways you can reverse the gospel or shorten or cheapen the gospel. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. He says, grace and peace. Grace is the source of our salvation. We're saved by grace. Peace is the result of our salvation. We'll have peace if we're saved the right way. And so he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. We all needed rescuing. From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, this is Paul's little greeting. A lot of times he's more elaborate on his greeting, but he's kind of angry. See, because Paul is a good shepherd. That, like that staff I had, the good shepherd would take it. If he was walking his sheep along the edge of a cliff, he would hold that long staff out, and it'd be like a little guardrail where they wouldn't fall off and die. And so the, 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 the staff was not to beat the sheep with. It, but later, if a wolf came in sheep's clothing, if a wolf come, he would take that staff and he would beat the enemy and run the enemy away from his dear sheep. Now, the Bible says that the good shepherd will protect the sheep. You know, I am getting older and I don't know how many more years I got. I, I figure I can go as long as Willie Nelson's gone. <laughs> and he's still going. So, uh, that's kind of my measuring stick there. But... Uh, Whenever I want to make sure that I've left a strong word with this congregation of caution that we understand the right gospel, the only gospel that can save you. And it's very important that we do that. And so he said the good shepherd will fight and even lay down his life for a sheep. The problem with a lot of churches has went into this thing. They, they've got certain boards that hire them and fire them. And when that happens, the Bible calls that a hireling. Because first time you say something the congregation don't like, they send you down the road. Then they bring somebody else in. And after a while, you've got preachers that's preaching uh, words that says it's, uh, it just fills their itching ears and it's whatever they want to hear. But he said the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Now, Paul was a good shepherd because he's going back to Galatia a church that he started in that region there. And he's going back and he's getting serious with them now. And in verse 6, he said, I'm astonished. See, he started off real sweet and all. And then he goes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The word gospel is Paul's favorite word. He uses it over and over and over in all his writings, which is really no gospel at all. What you're, what you're telling these people, that ain't the gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than 
the one that we have preached unto you, let them be under God's curse. That word curse there means may they be damned. Anathema. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody preaches you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. In other words, let them be damned. Paul's very serious about what he's saying right now. He said, in case you didn't hear me the first time, I'm going to tell you again. I am now trying to, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. That may need to sink in for preachers and pastors everywhere. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intently I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. Paul said, I tried to destroy the church. I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But, I love that when Paul puts a but God, but God, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, that needs to sink in. God called him in his mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. My immediate response was to consult with no human beings. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those of the apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Went back to the desert, we find out later in some of the writings. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. And I saw no one else other than only James, the Lord's brother. I assured you before God that I am writing to you. What I'm writing to you is not a lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilia. And I was personally unknown in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. Here's the report. This, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Paul is telling you, if your gospel don't make any changes in your character, it may not be the right gospel. Paul was like this, and now he's not like that anymore. Every one of us should have a personal testimony that before I knew Jesus Christ, I was like this. And after I come to know Jesus Christ, I was like that. There has to be life change. You know, we, we say terms like, a lot of times we'll tell people this, uh, you know, we'll, on the radio or something, we'll say, uh, we'd like for you to come to our church if you don't have a church home. I think that's all right, you can say that, because we're not, we're not about trying to steal other people's church people. I mean, that's not right. I, I saw a, a neat little cartoon, it showed up two guys fishing, and one guy on this side had a sign that said that they were, uh, you know, a, a church a founded church been going a long time on the other side of the river. And so this guy here, he's fishing in this, this, this river that's got people in it, you know, and he's fishing. And the other guy, he's fishing in the bucket of the other church. You know, that don't strengthen the kingdom. It doesn't further the kingdom. But that's what happens sometimes in, in churches. And God is not pleased with that. He's not pleased with it. And so it's all right to say, you know, we'd like to invite you to our church uh, we're not the only church in town, you know, we'd like to invite you to our church if you'd like to attend, but we, you know, but if you've already got a church, we want you to go to your church. 
Because evidently there's a reason you need to be there. God pulled you. God chose you to that church. But here's another slogan I don't think that we should be saying. Attend the church of your choice. Should we attend the church of our choice or should it be the the church of God's choice? And the church of God's choice is Jesus Christ's church. Jesus shed his blood for that church. That's the church. So we might not say you choose the church of God's choice. And there's not just one church. There's a lot of churches that believe in the, the cross of Jesus Christ. They believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, we had this down here earlier in in the service, but some said they couldn't see them. So we moved it back up here. But the the thing is that Christianity has got to decide what is going to be the authority of our Christianity. Is it going to be whatever you say, whatever I say, whatever somebody else says? No, the early church had that same problem. They they, they, you know, they, they run up against all these problems, and they had to establish what the faith was. And I'm going to look at this a little bit. Uh, is, there, is there only one way to salvation? That has to be settled. It has to be settled. And then, by what are you establishing the fact that there's only one way to heaven? Are you using this word? Or somebody you had in college? Or some friend of yours? Or... Somebody made it up, or you heard somebody preach it on the radio, or what are, you, what, what are you basing your faith on? What are you basing your faith on? So we look at here, and it says in John 3, 14 through 17, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I want to I go there in just a moment. In the Old Testament, in, in the garden, it was a serpent that deceived Eve and then Adam. Adam participated in the sin because Eve... He loved her. He's willing to die for her. And, and so, because she was bone of his bone and flesh of flesh. You've got to realize that Jesus Christ, out of his side, come blood and water, and it says it purchased the church. And so we're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Very similar to Adam. Well, they call Jesus the second man, Adam. In the first garden, Adam didn't father. He didn't, he didn't follow the father's will. And he went his own way, and it led to all of us being plunged into sin. Now, last week I talked about at Easter. At Easter, we find Jesus in another garden. He's the second man, Adam, according to Scripture. And in this garden, he didn't much want to go to the cross. He didn't want to have crowns of thorns. He didn't want to be beaten until nobody could recognize him. He didn't want a spear in his side. He he didn't want to go through all that. But he said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And then he prayed the more earnest it's very interesting. The, the garden is called the oil press. And some, some week I'm going to preach to you about the oil press. But they, they used to press olives three times. First was extra olive oil. You know, it's extra virgin. Then there's a second time, the third. The third oil is so poorly bruised and beat up because it's 1,400 pounds, of, uh, I mean 1,200 pounds of pressure on that olive that it's kind of uh, the seeds and the... T- all of that stuff is turning blood red. And so Jesus goes and he prays. He comes back. The disciples say, he prays again. And then the third time, his, blood, his sweat becomes as great drops of blood. Where did that happen at? In the garden. In the garden, the oil press. And Jesus, that last, that last rendering of the oil 
what you get out of it, you get soap. That's all it's good for is making soap. And it's good for making the, the oil that you burn in a little lamp. So isn't it amazing that Jesus is our light and he's the one that cleanses us. But I could go into a lot of a story about that. So these stories in the Bible, we're going to do a series this summer called Storytellers. And we're going to try to connect the dots between the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And bringing it through some of the, the parables. But I'm going to tell you something. There was a serpent that did this. So the children of Israel, they were being disobedient to God. They were not following the God's, God's will. When they followed God's will, things went well for them. When they didn't follow God's will, things didn't go well for them. And so they were, had been not following God's will, and these serpents began to bite God's people. And it was making them sick, and it was causing them to die. Well, finally, he said, well, they were praying out, God, God, please help us. Please save us. Help us. And so they took upon this pole, kind of looked like a cross. They put this serpent on it, and they said, if you look upon this serpent, on this pole, you will live and not die. Folks, that is a pre-story to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins in place of the serpent that bit us. He took our place for our sins on the cross. That beautiful cross that we flowered last week. That's why we flowered. There's beauty in that cross. What happened on that cross? He died on that cross. He becomes sin for us that we might have eternal life. That we might have, and through grace, God gives that to us. So here is what it was said in the Old Testament about this. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believes in him, that they may have eternal life. And then in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all things have been handed over to me by the Father, telling Jesus. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone who the Son chooses... To reveal himself to. And so we, we see this. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was the only way. He was the only way to, to, be, uh, to escape the bite of the serpent. And then we, here's what the apostle says about this salvation. This uh, only being one salvation. The apostles believed in Jesus alone. Acts 2.39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He says, and there is salvation in no one else. So it's like, okay, the Bible's pretty clear on this. The Bible's clear on this, that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. But that's not the, that's not the belief in this world today. There are some other false beliefs crept into a lot of churches because the churches are trying to be accommodating. Because we don't want to be a church like, well, that old nasty church over there, they believe they're the only ones going to heaven. But there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we have to ask, are we going to believe the Bible or not? And so Acts 6.31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. How, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so how do you get saved? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That right there is how you get saved. 
That's how you get saved. I don't care what everybody else says. The Bible said that's how you get saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. When you do that, it's just as if you had never sinned. It's just like you had never been bitten by a serpent. It means that you're restored. It's just like you're brand new before God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or or Greek. You don't have to become a Jew to be saved. You don't have to become a Greek to be saved. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon his name. God wants to restore. He wants to give you riches. He wants to favor you. He wants to bless you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? I'm going to flip through this because we went through that in Romans said, you know, you got to believe on him. You got to hear. And if you got to hear, you got to have somebody come preach to you. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, he said. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has said? I think it says in King James, who has believed your report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If people hear the word of God, it'll stir up faith in them to believe. They're not going to believe on your story or your, you know, something you read. It's the word of God. You're going to hear a lot of the word of God today. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they be saved. That was their desire. They wanted people to be saved. John 2, 22 through 25. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this is they. He said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew them. He knew what they were thinking. But whoever drinks of this water, he's talking about the, the, you know, the woman at the well. He tells her, he said, whoever drinks of this water that I'll give him, will I, they will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water Welling up in eternal life. So this woman come. She'd had five husbands before. She's all messed up. She's trying to tell Jesus how you worship God. You got to go worship God over on this mountain. And Jesus said, no, you don't. You know, one of these days you're going to understand it's not worshiping on that mountain or following this or following that. One day you're going to realize that true worship comes through Jesus Christ. I'm the only one that can give living water. Jesus was proclaiming that he was the only one to get saved. He's the only one to have a living water in you. He wouldn't make no bones about it. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She didn't fully get it, but she eventually got it because she went and told the whole town, come tell a man, come see a man that's told me all things about myself. It's amazing how Jesus approached people. He told her she had, he said, I don't have no husband. He said, you've had five before. In other words, she is a fornicator, an adulterer. And said, the one you're living with right now is not even your husband. See, when you love somebody, you tell them the truth in love. The woman caught in the act of adultery. People use that story. Well, I'll tell you what, it don't matter what you do. And it does it. God can forgive anything. Caught the woman in the act of adultery. He said, ye without sin cast for stone. They begin to drop their stones from oldest to youngest. Because if you live very long, you know you've sinned. You know you're a sinner saved by grace. So they walked away. 
And then Jesus looked at this adultery that was caught in the very day. They were saying, the law says, the law says that you're supposed to stone her. What are you going to do, Jesus? No, the law said the man and the woman was supposed to be stoned in the Old Testament. Well, where's the man at? They wanted half of the law that they wanted half the law. There's a lot of people today that want to give you half the gospel, half the truth, because they don't want to offend nobody. But this woman, he said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. And then he goes, well, have a good day. No, he said, go and sin no more. Can you be loving and tell somebody that what they're doing is a sin? Yeah, you can. That's being loving. That's being loving. He said, tell people the truth in love. But how many issues today in the church, we just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it because I'm not going to say nothing to you because you're going to hate me. I dare you, I can give you about five subjects to put on Facebook and you'll be browbeat by, by the time the sun goes down. And it's absolute gospel that you can read out of the Word of God. And so we got to choose. All of us churches have got to choose. Are we going to believe God? Are we going to seek the favor of God? Are we going to seek the, the, the pleasure of man? What they want. And so we, we see this. And, and it's kind of, uh, you know, he's asking them, are we really going to believe the Bible? Are we going to really focus on what's important? John 5, 12, 13, they asked, who is this man who said this? See, they were, there again, Jesus had healed this man that couldn't walk. But he did it on the Sabbath. You're breaking one of our rules. He said, I'm the one that originally, I'm the one that makes the rules, not you. Not the Jews. I make the rules. I'm the creator. And I told him to pick up his bed and walk. And they asked this man, well, who did that? And Jesus had already slipped out. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as through the crowd in the place. He had withdrawn. And so here's the question. Either he is Lord of over all, or he's not Lord at all. C.S. Lewis made that quote years ago. Here's another verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, for it, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of, Paul, of Apollos, I am of Cephas, which is Peter, or I am of Christ. Now, in verse 13, is Christ a divider? He said, was Paul crucified for you? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The focus is on individual, the individuals that come to our church and our society today. If we're not careful, we become a Burger King religion. We don't want to upset you. You can have it your way at our church. Disregard the Bible, disregard what Jesus said, disregard what the apostles said. God's been dealing my heart on this for a while. We've been singing about the Apostles' Creed. 
This became a big problem in the early church. Everybody just, well, I'm not following what you said. I'm with Paul, or I'm with this, or I'm with that. And so they come up with the Apostles' Creed. We sing that, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We had, they had to be, they took 66 scrolls. Really, it wasn't 66, but some scrolls they had to separate because it had been too big. I'm carrying the Bible around in this scroll. It's too big. So they, the books were so long, so they took and cut those and made like, you know, First Peter, Second Peter. They made them smaller where you could carry them around and talk to people with. When they come up with the Bible, though, and the canon of Scripture, they looked at, they looked at a lot of different things people had wrote about Jesus Christ. And they took those things that they felt like they could uh, verify, those things that fulfilled prophecy, those things that, and they put it together and they said, this is the canon of scripture. This is, and my friend, if you were to take this Bible apart, it would be 66 books written over, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, 40s, uh, it was 40 different authors. And it was written over uh, uh, many, most of these writers didn't even know one another. I mean, it was centuries before. But they tell a flawless story. Tell me where you can go to any library and gather up 66 books about any subject and you see a flawless story. There was Last week about Easter, there was over 300 prophecies just in the last few hours. 300 prophecies out of different books of the Bible that said exactly what Jesus would face. It said that he would die on a cross. The Jews had three uh, kangaroo court uh, juries, why? They were trying to get the right, they were trying to get permission to stone Jesus. Well, the scripture didn't say he would be stoned, which was the way the Jews would have done it. It said that he would be crucified. He would hang upon a tree. He would done it on a cruel cross. And so we knew, if you know the scripture, you knew that he'd eventually end up in the hands of Rome because Rome was the only one that crucified. So they was finally turned over to Rome and they had three different court cases. And in those three different court cases, they said, I don't find no fault with him. All I can say, I know you're all angry about this guy, but I can tell you, I can give you him or Barabbas. What do you want? They said, give us Barabbas. That was even foretold in the scripture. When they used to put a little lamb on a stick and roast it for the Passover, that if you took that lamb and stretched it out and put it on that, that little cross, it looked like a lamb on the cross. When Jesus, when Jesus, when they took Jesus and walked him down, if you could see Jerusalem, and I was just blessed to be able to go there. You go to Jerusalem and you walk down this valley, and you go down this Kindred Valley, and there's this, the brook of Kendra, if I'm saying it right, and you go back up and you go to the Olivet, you go to the, the Garden of, of, of uh, Kissimmee, which is the oil press, and that all the story there is symbolic. When Jesus walked across that brook of Kindred, you have any idea how many lambs were killed during the Passover? One historian recorded and said that one time they had a record of it. And at one Passover, 256,000 lambs were killed during the Passover. And one lamb normally represented a family of about 10 people. They'd gather together and buy one. And they would offer the lamb sacrifice. When they and they had a con, uh, conduit holding the, uh, by the altar, where they offered the sacrifices that went down and it went out of the city and it ended up in that brook of Kindred. They said when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would have been walking across that brook, 
after 256,000 lambs had been slain, the brook would have been running blood. And that's why you, he, in Hebrews, he said, all the bloods of the animals could not take away your sins, but only the Lamb of God. Only the Lamb of God. So sacrifices can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. There's so many different... Uh, we're going to try to show you those stories this summer. I mean, you're not going to want to miss any of it. But we have to decide. We've got to make up our mind whether we're really going to be people of faith, whether we're really going to believe God. And if we're going to believe God, then we've got to get back in the Bible and we've got to believe this book. Well, some people say there's errors, Eric, and you know, the, it's a book of error. You've got to figure out what you want to believe about that. But I'm telling you what, if you don't find something to stand on, you're going to fall for anything. I'm going to tell you something else. It's going to be very, this cross right here is a, an offense. It's going to offend people. You've got to get that in your mind. This cross offends people. It offends people if you tell them that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But if you believe this word, that's exactly what it says. Exactly what it says. And so we can't pick and choose what we want. But he, he tells them, he said, For it has been declared unto me of you, brethren, by which the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say. You know, are, are you, are, what, what, did Paul die for you? No. Jesus is the one provided salvation. And so the question really comes up. Said while we were still weak, the right hand of Christ, he died for the ungodly. For one who scarcely died for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in while that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, just like we'd never sinned by the blood, much more shall we be saved by him from this wrath. Jesus shed his blood for us. We come in the authority of God's word. We come in the authority of what Jesus said. We come in the authority of what the apostle said. We come in the, the authority of the canon of scripture. We come in the authority of the apostolic creed. And then some yahoo out here that went to some, uh, you know, uh, lame blame college that some professor said something. And you're going to believe that over God and all these other things? Let me tell me, show me one of their books that can stand up against the scrutiny of God's word and the prophecies. And Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of the father which is in heaven not everybody that says the Lord Lord's going to heaven and so is Jesus the only one way to heaven I believe he is it's exactly what Jesus taught it's what he believed are we going to believe what Jesus believed or not for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, have, we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. 
we have found reconciliation through God. No, nobody else. Nobody else. And so we come to the Lord today realizing that he's the only way. He, either, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's nobody but Jesus that can get you to heaven. That's what this series is all about. The pluralists, the, the, the people that believe there's many ways to God, they'll tell you that it's very, very arrogant for, for you to say that you know, you're, the only, you're the only way to heaven. You're the only way to God. The pluralists treat salvation as if it were a hair treatment. You should be able to choose your color, your style, or so on. All according to your own preference. Whatever works for you. But what if salvation is more like a medicine? You know, the pluralists are the people that believe there's many ways to heaven. Here's some of the things that they say about that. They say those are exclusive claims. You know, however, it calls great offense to the modern people. You're saying you're the only way and no other way will get you there. Isn't that arrogant for Christians to insist that Jesus is the only way to God? Doesn't that imply that and advocate other religions are wrong? Yes, it does. But note well, the religious pluralists, those that believe there's many ways to heaven, are implying and implying and it advocates that Christians are wrong. Indeed, they are they're implying or they're judging that Jesus was wrong. They're arrogantly implying that Jesus was wrong and the apostles were wrong and the canon of scripture was wrong and the Bible is wrong. They're arrogantly doing that themselves. And if it's arrogant to imply that non-Christian religions are wrong, pluralists must be equally arrogant to imply that Christianity is wrong along with every other exclusive religion out there, is wrong. Why don't they just pick on Christianity? Christianity is under fire because it's truly the only way to heaven. They hate it. There's some religion that will go into town and they will make sure they build the highest temple in town. Meaning that they supersede, they're higher than any other religious organization. And if they can't get a permit to do it, they'll burn down all the buildings that are that tall. Because they want to be on top. If you go search on the internet, you'll find out there's thousands of churches that have been burnt down recently across the world. There's an all-out assault on churches, especially Christian churches. Because they believe they're right. And they're the only ones that can speak to this subject of who's right. Another common objection is that it's unfair to deny salvation to those who are sincerely following religious people. There are some people that sincerely followed a man out to a, 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 another country and they all drank Kool-Aid and they died. They were all sincere and they sincerely died. It takes more than sincerity to go to heaven. And so they say it's unfair to deny salvation to the but I don't see where salvation, he says it's for whosoever will. Whosoever will. It's open to everybody. Why should only Christians be saved? The complaint exposes the fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. Salvation is by grace alone. Grace is free. It's unmerited. You don't have to purchase it. You don't have to do anything for it. You just got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved by grace. God has no obligation. God has never did have any obligation to offer one single way to heaven. Much less multiple ways to heaven. 
But because of God's mercy and God's grace, he offered a way even at the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ. Anyone who hears the gospel hears it solely because of God's divine mercy. The unfairness objection also reflects a flawed assumption about who gets to define salvation. Who's going to define your salvation? Just anybody? Are you going to let the Word of God, the Apostles' Creed, and the canon of Scripture define your salvation? Surely it is up to our Creator, not us, to diagnose our problem and prescribe our remedy. This right here, this is my my medicine uh, jug right here. And the reason I know I got some good medicine in here, because it's got to be medicine because it says M on the outside. M for medicine. What if the gospel is like this medicine? And what if you're diagnosed by a doctor and he says that you've got a, uh, you've got a very serious disease? But I got good news for you. The good news is we now have a cure for your disease. All you got to do is take one of these red pills right here, the red pills. But doctor, you don't understand. I hate red. I hate red. I mean, can I, can I take a blue pill? I heard there's a doctor at, across town that it would give you a blue pill. Or what about the yellow pill? Can I take the yellow pill? Is that doctor loving to go, sure, go ahead and take the yellow pill. He's going to die. Or what about take the blue pill? Go ahead and take it. You want it. Your friends want you to have it, so you go ahead and take the blue pill. Is that a loving doctor? Is it, is it ugly? Is it mean for the doctor to say, no, you don't understand. I'm the doctor and you're the patient. And the red pill is the only one that will cure you of your disease. Folks, there's only one person that's ever died on the cross for our sins, and that's Jesus Christ. And great drops of blood run down this cross and dripped off of this cross for our sins. That's why when we take communion, we take that red cup and we pour it up and we go, this was his blood that was shed for me. You may not like the symbol of blood, you may not like red, but it's the only way to heaven. And you just got to make up your mind, do you want God's way to heaven or you want to take your risk on your own way to heaven? He said, there's no other way by which... You can be saved, but through Jesus Christ. We either start believing that or we don't. It's like people, we go through our life today. There's four or five issues, like I said, you could put on the Facebook. And you could, you could they be people just bombarding you by sundown about how much they hate you and how intolerant you are to even mention that. And yet, it's in the Bible that God does not approve of it. Maybe it's our vices or the way we live or we don't like it. So we just find another church that will accept it. Is that right? If you've got a friend and your friend has got vices in their life and they've got a false belief and they're living lifestyles that are not right, are you a greater Christian because you go, gee, you're my buddy, you're my friend, we went to college together, we did this together? Yeah, you okay. It don't matter what you're doing. No matter who you sleep with. No matter what's going on in your life, you know, I'll prove you. You go, boy, that's a real loving person. Is it? 
a doctor that would prescribe you the wrong medicine because you don't want the right medicine because of some reason you've concocted? Is that a good doctor? Is it? And so the question is, yes, we have to tell the truth in love. Don't do anything arrogantly, but we've got to tell the truth in love. I've often, there's some things I prefer not to bring to the pulpit, but you ask me personally, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you my opinion. You may not like it. I'll say, that's my opinion. That's my understanding. It's right here in the word of God. You do your own study. You dig it out with fear and trembling because you better dig it out with fear and trembling because your eternal destination depends on it. Your eternal destination depends on it. I read something this last week that really shocked me. This minister, he went in the hospital. They, this guy went in. They found he had latest stages of cancer. And they called him in and told the family, we're called in hospice. He's not going to live. He's only got hours or days to live. And they called the minister in. And they said, we'd like for you to come in and, and talk to him and have prayer with him. So the minister goes in there. He said, you know, I'm sorry to hear the news that you've got only days to live. And I just want to tell you, I love you. I'll be praying for you and your family. And, and uh, I just, you know, I'm so sorry for you. And then he, he asked the fellow, he said, I just want to ask you this question. Are you sure? Are you sure that you're ready to go to heaven? Are you saved? Are you ready to go to heaven? And the guy kind of reared up in the bed and he goes, if you told me right, I am. If you told me right, then I'm ready to go to heaven. If you didn't tell me right. Sam, I don't want to stand before God one day and somebody goes, you didn't tell me right. I'd rather you hate my gut. I'd rather people on Facebook hate my guts. Have I come this long to please men or to please God? To preach this gospel. You go, well, I know some religions. They're so loving. They're so peaceful. There's some that will cut your head off. It doesn't matter. And we'll get in more. The, the thing, this cross right here, believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's, that's salvation, folks. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then go offer you a sacrifice on the side. It can't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then be circumcised on the side. It can't be believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then uh, be baptized. It can't be believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've got to take communion every week or you're not going to be ready. It has to be simply what the Word of God. We can't add to the Word of God and make it right. He says it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart. That's how you get saved. Anybody else that tries to change that, he said, let them be accursed. You say, well, there's churches in this town that does that. I know, I know. I don't necessarily believe they're not going to heaven. I'm just saying they're making the transition from this world to Jesus a difficult road because they're added different things you have to do to get to heaven and there's nothing else you have to do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ I'll tell you later on you don't have to come to church you don't have to be baptized you don't have to take communion it's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's it is all these other things important he said yeah it's very important 
But it does not, it's not a part of your salvation. It's not a part of your salvation. Well, why would you want to come? I hope you want to come because this guy died on the cross for you to have that freedom. That's why you want to come. That's why we'd want to believe. I'm telling you, I, I like all the modern songs and I like all the, the new stuff. But some of the songs we've sung sometimes are not even scriptural. And there's a lot of churches reeling those back. I like what the young people sung today. Didn't they do a good job? Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Years ago, a great Augustus top lady wrote this hymn. Some of you know it. Rock of Ages. They are at a church. They were very conscious to not just think up stuff and sing about it or think up stuff and tell people about it. It had to be according to the word. It had to be according to the canon of scripture. It had to be according to the Apostles' Creed. They had to have several uh, things that certified that this is not a lie. This is the truth. And the great Augustus top lady wrote, Rock of Ages. And here's one of the lines from that beautiful song that was telling this story that I'm telling today. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to the cross of Jesus Christ I cling. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? These for sin could not atone. Christ must save and Christ alone. Written a long time ago. Where did they get that from? The word. See, the gospel is free. It's free. You can't, somebody can't put their own conditions on it. It's free. It's free to all men everywhere of every tongue and every language and every ethnic group around the world. Don't bring anything but empty hands. Don't bring anything but a need is all he wants. Here's another verse. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dreamed. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. All you got to do is feel your need of him. But if we're letting, if we're telling everybody that everybody's saved, no matter how you live, no matter what you do, no matter what you believe, is anybody ever going to feel their need of him? Nobody would ever feel their need of the red pill if they didn't tell them the only way to get healed is the red pill. Nobody's ever going to feel the need of God until they realize their condition cannot be changed. Their condition of being under the Adamic nature, it cannot be changed until someone turns to the cross of Jesus Christ. If, if, if your religion has not changed you like it changed Paul, we need to question whether we got some other religion. I tell you, a good, a good reference point for salvation is the thief on the cross. If you couldn't do any more than the thief on the cross, could you be saved? The thief was nailed to the cross, hands and feet. He looks over and he sees this man, Jesus, and he'd heard about him. And he hears, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he looks over and he said, not, hey, man. He said, Lord. He recognized him as Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> 
And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, dude, you're too late. (laughs) You should have got baptized and you should have took communion and all that stuff. And you ain't been going to church, so you're going to hell, bud. No, the thief on the cross test is this. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Nothing else. If anybody ever told you that you've got to do this and this and this, it's a lie. It's not in the word. It's not truth. The book of Galatians is called a book of freedom because it's going to set you free to fall in love with Christ. A guy that loved you enough to come all the way to heaven to tell you the truth. We have a condition called sin. And the only thing that will save you from that condition is the red blood of Jesus Christ. There is no remission of sin without the blood of Jesus Christ. None. So if that offends somebody you know, I'm sorry. How loving are you to tell your children any other way? Or your family? Or your best friend? It's hard. But it's the loving thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. I'm going to tell you, we need to bombard our young people with this gospel. Because when they go to college, they're going to be told a whole different story. They're going to be told a lie. You better get your kids ready. You better get your grandkids ready. They're facing a world that's hostile to this gospel. The church, once again, is going to be hated. You're probably not going to have a whole lot of likes on Facebook. This gospel is an offense to a world that does not want to obey Jesus Christ. They hate it. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Can we bow our heads? If you're not saved today, it's so easy. It's so easy. It's so free. It's so freeing. Say, Lord, remember me. I accept the fact that you died on that cross for my sins, that you were buried and you were resurrected for me. You died in my place. Your blood, great Drops of your red blood flowed down from that cross. You were my lamb. You died for my sins. For that, I'll forever be grateful. I ask you to come into my heart right now in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all you got to do. Nothing else. Absolutely nothing else.